Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Dave Fink of Posty about wall gardens versus owned marketing or versus open marketing or free marketing or whatever you want to call it. We're going to be talking about uh, wall gardens and uh, what, what all that means for your marketing. Uh, Dave, um, Dave thinks he's the best kept secret in marketing. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to, <laughs> uh, that'll get edited out. So, yeah, I definitely do that. Sure, I am. <laughs> Dave thinks the best kept secret in marketing is hiding where you least expect it in your mailbox. Over a 20 year career, he's generated hundreds of millions of dollars in ad revenue, powered viral sensations like Dollar Shave Club, and helped launch celebrity startups for Jessica Simpson, Mary Kate, and Ashley Olson and Kate Bosworth. Now, as a founder and CEO of Posty, he's out to reinvent direct mail marketing for a digital world. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So wall gardens, this is a topic that's come up in episode after episode recently, I think. Uh, data privacy keeps coming up, and then wall gardens keeps, it keeps inserting itself. I'm really happy to have an episode just dedicated to this. For the listeners, can you give just a quick explanation of what that means. What is what is a wall garden in marketing? Sure. So um, there are marketing channels that that anyone can reach directly. Um, you think about uh, buying display advertising, you know, banners on websites, or email marketing or SMS, where you have a, a specific you know piece of technology that allows you to send emails or send text messages. Um, no one owns you know, that that inbox or mailbox. That's you know that's the consumers, and you can reach them um, you know directly uh, at, at any time. The wall gardens are are you know are platforms that a specific company owns. So the two biggest that uh, that make up uh, you know the, the the data point that 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 I love and hate is. You know, uh, you know, Facebook and Google um, command 85 cents of every dollar spent in digital media. They're, they're behemoths. And each of those companies are, are walled gardens. If you want to reach someone through Google AdWords, you have to go through Google's platform. Google is driving that engagement. They have the relationship with the consumer. And you, by proxy, can reach those consumers through their ad platforms. Um, similar, you know, on Facebook. Facebook owns, you know, the Facebook universe. And if you want to reach somebody on Facebook, there's one singular way to, to access those individuals. And that's through Facebook ads um, or, um, or, or by through social engagement on the Facebook platform. Right. So it's um, basically you don't have the freedom. You don't have any control over the marketplace yourself. That, that, that's ex exactly right. Um, and and that's, that's a double-edged sword. There's, there's a lot of good there. Um, and then there, there's, there's also some challenges that we have to figure out how to live with or overcome. You know, from my perspective, the, the good is, you know, in, in many respects, if you're, um, you know, new to, to digital advertising um, or, or a brand that's new to digital advertising or you're launching a new brand, it's never been easier to, to get traction, right? There are two monster platforms that, you know, you could kind of put all of your initial early stage emphasis in learning how to optimize and, and scale, you know, and, and again, that, that's, you know, search and social. And, and instead of having to go tackle a really complex omni-channel marketing 
strategy out of the gate to have um, some initial success and drive awareness, uh, you can focus on those two channels. And that, that's, that's a really powerful thing. And, and many brands that I've been involved with, and, and I'm sure that your listeners have been involved with, um, have had tremendous success and they've built very big businesses. But at some point, um, for a number of reasons, which, which hopefully you know, we can dive in here throughout um, this conversation, uh, at some point, there's either diminishing returns or it becomes much more challenging to continue growing your business um, just on those two platforms. And that's that's when you know when you uh, I think that that that's the point that separates you know brands that are true um, you know truly um, transformative brands from those that eventually hit kind of that that plateau in, in growth and scale. So the it seems like there's a handful of issues, but that's one I hadn't really considered before is your your scalability because they want a piece of everything. Um, you don't own the the audience. It's their audience and you're kind of renting it and they can raise, you know, they want a piece of everything and they want you to have just enough a piece to keep putting into it maybe, but they're going to keep raising it. And it's this competitive marketplace versus owning your own channel, owning your own audience type type of a, a situation. Yeah. And I think that's, that's maybe um, one of the core trade-offs. And again, it's not, it's not all or nothing, right? You, you can be active on social and you can be active in search and still also, um, you know, breaking out of the walled gardens, which is what, you know, most big scalable lasting brands do. Um, you know, the, the, the really, the, the, I think the brilliance of those, those ad platforms and, and some of the dynamics that cause, um, you know, early day successes and, and more, more challenges with scale is that they're marketplaces. Um, and, you know, if you rewind 20 years ago, the, the way that, you know, TV and print out of home was sold was, was a volume game. The more that an advertiser, you know, committed and, and the, the bigger their ad buys, the, the, the better the pricing got. And so you could scale, you know, your, your marketing efforts and find more efficiency with, with that scale. The opposite holds true for these walled gardens, right? So, you know, you think about, you know, social Facebook, namely, and, you know, Facebook and Instagram, you know, those are marketplaces where advertisers through, you know, the Facebook marketplace are bidding on ad impressions. And, um, and oftentimes almost exclusively the way that it works is in the early days when you can be very, very focused in a very specific high, you know, yielding, highly engaged audience early in the early days of your Facebook ad spend, um, you're finding a tremendous amount of efficiency and, 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 um, and, and as you scale, you need to reach bigger and bigger segments and, and pools of, of prospect, you know, customers through, through those marketplaces. And you have more advertisers that are bidding on, on those same, you know, ad impressions. And, and so that drives up ad rates. Um, and, and similarly, you know, Facebook in particular, Google as well have done you know, a phenomenal job with, the targeting capabilities that they give you as an advertiser, and and what that means is you can you can you know do some really incredible things um, that that dry you know that, that allow you to harness efficiency in the early days, but again as you scale, um, you know those efficiencies do have diminishing returns. You can max out their their market, and I guess when I bring it up, usually on this show, it's in a negative sense because I'm usually highlighting the negative aspects. But I mean, you said early on. There's a lot of really good things about it. It's nice to be able to go to the marketplace and sell your wares and sure somebody else takes a piece, but you may not own that market, but it's great to have all these places where, you know, I like to say it's, it's 
for me to say, oh, these walled walled gardens, you don't own it, so you don't have control. At the same time, I would never say, oh, leave that out of your marketing. Maybe it shouldn't be your only marketing. You want do want to create your own uh, owned marketing channels, but you want to diversify kind of, and they're great places to go sell stuff. You just can't put everything in them because they could be turned off on you at any time. Well, that's exactly right. So, so you have all of the, um, you know, benefits of, of amazing, you know, marketing and data tools, the sophisticated ad platform that you can continue to grow into as a brand and, and all that early stage efficiency, again, you know, create, creates this platform to be able to launch brands, products, um, you know, really quickly and really efficiently. The, the piece that's missing uh, with, with these wall gardens really is predictability. And in the early days of, of, of launching a brand, like we all have all had that experience where you, know, you have a, an interesting idea and you put effort into your initial you know, product and, and you build out your website and, um, and you go to market and within a day you're, you're generating, you know, you're, you're, you're finding customers through, through the, the, those platforms. And, and that's amazing. As you grow as a business, especially if you take investment dollars from you know, the venture community, or you're raising money from banks, and, and you have accountability, predictability in your, in your growth trajectory matters a lot. And if you have a singular or a couple of fail points, you know, call it Facebook and Google in your entire marketing stack, you know, that means that every morning you're waking up and you're, you're nervous as a cat wondering if... Facebook's algorithm is going to change, or right. if you punch through the next, you know, um, you know, potential target audience, you, you use the term saturation. So you saturated a specific segment that was was you know converting really well for you into customers, and and now all of a sudden, you know, you're you're stuck. You're, you're or suddenly stuck. a competitor just got funding that you wasn't even on your radar, and now they are doubling the cost of all of your um marketing in these in these channels happens all the time could be yeah. a competitor could be um you know could be another you know product or, or service that isn't even competitive but but is is bidding against the same audiences that you oh, right yeah yeah so they you get this auction scenario where it's not just that you're competing against your competitors and people that have the same audience uh, maybe some the same keywords but um, you're, you're not competing. Like, are they going to buy up my product or their product? It's, are they going to even see my marketing or not? So it isn't, they both, they see both your marketing and now it's all of a sudden, no, I'm just bid out of this, this keyword. There's a large player that just says, you know what? We just don't want anyone else to get in this space. Uh, we're just going to buy it out type of a thing. You don't have that control. Whereas a newsletter, um, direct mail, um, you know, live in person, um, what, what, I guess, what are the non-walled garden channels? Yeah, look, I mean, there's certainly um, certain uh, mechanics and challenges in, in any given channel, but, you know, it really, it's anything outside of, um, outside of marketplaces. Um, so you, I, would, I would put out of home, you know, billboards, trains. Yes, sure, someone owns that media, but they're, um, you know, you, you can reach them through any ad agency. Um, there are a number of ways to buy that inventory. There's not one singular um, competitive marketplace to, to bid on that on, on those ads. Um, certainly direct mail, linear TV, radio. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with connected TV. You know, I, I, I 
believe that that those will become walled gardens, but there's enough of them, right? You have Hulu and Netflix and um, you know Comcast and Time Warner, each of those platforms, you know, maybe their own walled garden, but there'll be enough diversification to be able to to move throughout them. So as a key aspect here, not just that somebody creates this this channel that they own, but the amount of competition for that type of channel. So if you have the only radio station, then you kind of have this wall garden, you control it. But the more competition there is for a similar channel, the less control you have. So Google AdWords has, I don't know, if I assume Bing has some ads and search, you can pay to put search terms on it and stuff, but uh, um, they kind of have the market so cornered that they are able to control it and thus act like a monopoly and really clamp down on and, and, and have so much more control over it. They, they became yeah behemoths. They have they have the the you know they have the majority of users. Um, the majority of of ad, addressable ad units are um, in those channels are running through those platforms. Yeah, I think as marketers we all root for if you think about social right. You know, Facebook for for a very long time was the only game in town. Um, you know, now we're seeing you know Snap and and TikTok. Um, you know, emerge. And so I I think that's a good thing with some more um, similar type of, you know, engagement numbers and similar type of ad units. But, um, but yeah, I bet you can get ads really cheap on MySpace. Uh, I would think so. It's been a while (laughs) since I, since I bought, um, but uh, that is, that's probably true. You probably go, um, go a little deeper and look at, you know, Friendster as well. There are a lot of platforms out there that would be happy to have your ads. Yes. And then that gets into these platforms. Also early on, it's always very inexpensive because there's nobody else bidding. If you're showing up at a party, nobody else is there. They're really happy to have you. Um, once it builds up, it's, it's, it's this whole, their popularity creates more popularity thing. Everybody has to be there now type of a situation. Yeah. I think that's, that's been the case with advertising, um, yeah, pretty much always. There's just, there's never been a, a world um, like there is today where it's, it's the power has been so centralized in, in a couple key ad platforms. Certainly, you know, the day of magazines, you know, those, those publications with bigger circulations in certain demographics became more powerful. Their ad rates were higher. Um, same thing with newspaper circulation, certainly, you know, TV shows and, and prime time and, 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 you know, ad formats where you're, you're buying in the upfront, et cetera. You know, the, I think the difference was that, that again, there just wasn't a, a such a singular consolidated, um, uh, you know, place to reach that audience. And, and, and look, it's, there, there's a reason why, you know, when you look at Facebook and Google, they're two of the most successful companies in the history of the world. It's partly because of the utility that they're providing consumers, the social platform, the ability to, to access and search for and, and find um, the most relevant content on the web. In Google's case, um, and, and because of that, um, that utility and those engagement, lo- you know, um, uh, you know, levels, they can, um, then monetize those platforms. Um, and, you know, then that, you know, then, um, they became really savvy thinking about data and complex mathematics and, and that feeds into targeting and the bigger, you know, that you are as a, as a company and the more engagement you have and the more revenue that you're generating, the more investment you can make in better tools 
and that that cycle just perpetuated itself over the last 15 years and it has gravity it just creates keeps creating more sucking more and creating more gravity again when was the last time anybody put an ad on bing come on it might do really well because maybe no you know you're getting the audience that's there you're really getting them and getting them at at a low cost but as a marketer you're going to go where the audience is and that gets then so then the own channel where they are is always where they are their mailbox their email box their um their phone those channels are these open channels and i've seen this tendency um over maybe the last 10 years even but google let's use them as an example see if we can get neither of us to ever rank again um by talking about google so we've seen this tendency with with google or, or i have i've been seeing all these little signals that they seem to have themselves saturated their market kind of. They have so much of the market that there's people within Google that have to be looking at it saying, where do we go next? How do we increase our profits? We, we have like, they have diminishing returns. They have such a high percentage trying to get that last couple percent. So they need to look elsewhere. What part of the market don't we have? Oh, there's this huge chunk of marketing we don't touch with all these owned channels that we don't own. And I've, I've spoke about it a couple of times, but I've seen Google specifically attacking email because they see that as here's this channel. If we can own email somehow and you don't have to email is an open channel, it'd be near impossible to get rid of email, but you can demonize email. And what they did a while back or they, what they played with a while back was trying to own email validity, basically. Um, they wanted to let companies put a little icon, a little logo on their email. And in that way for them, they said, oh, then you know this is a trusted, this is a real email. It's all about safety, right? Oh, this is, uh, the spam is the big, and, and that's, that's what they use to, to try to attack the email market. And maybe, I don't know, I want to know if you've seen something similar in the physical mail um, marketplace, but they see email as this huge area, a lot goes on in email that they don't make money off of. If they can get people to not trust the open email market, then, and you only trust them, now suddenly they own it. So they wanted to add this icon to the emails. Companies have to go through them to get it, kind of like getting a Dunn's number or something like that. And then, you know, with DMB owning Dunn's numbers, massive, massive win for them. Um, so they wanted to create a similar thing with emails. And what it means then is if you don't have a Google verified email account, which you're going to need to pay them for, um, probably not initially, but eventually they're going to monetize this. If you don't have that, then your emails aren't trusted. Nobody's going to look at them. So that it's a safety thing. It's a, hey, it'd be really cool if you got your company logo here. Um, but ultimately what they're looking to do is undermine the open channel of email and make you have to go through Google for it. Well, I'm not going to um, claim that that's something I've spent um, a, a ton of time you know, thinking about and researching, so I, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert there. But as a user, you know, Google's done an unbelievable job of integrating utilities into you know every second of my day. So, you know, this morning I was out, um, you know, driving, um, you know, through town and wasn't certain where I was going and what do I do? I, I Pull up my GBS and what GBS do I pull up? I pull up Google. And then when it's time to search for a place to grab a breakfast burrito, guess what? 
they have, you know, they have native integrated search, right? You know, within, um, you know, within Google Maps, which by the way, I'm not even using my phone for because I'm running it through uh, Apple CarPlay, um, you know, and, and next thing I know, I basically am thinking about um, a breakfast burrito on the way home from, you know, wherever I was going and, yeah, and and there's revenue generated for for Google. I think the same thing's true with with email, right? We have we have email coming at us on our laptops, on our desktops, on our phones, on our watches, etc. And Google's done a great job of one catering to the to the user, right? So things like um, building better and better algorithms to fight spam. Um, there's, they certainly are even without that verified icon that you, that you were talking about earlier. They're kind of policing, um, you know, what, what mail gets to my inbox and what doesn't, they give me the opportunity to set up promotions inbox and social inboxes. Um, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of control. And there's certainly, you know, capturing the data on every email I receive and every email I respond to. And I'm sure there's, you know, there's, um, there's a wealth of other data that they're using from, um, my use of the, of email apps and, uh, and, and look, that's just, yeah, I think their 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 goal has always been how does that walled garden expand so that um, they, you know they're they're interjecting themselves in every kind of daily interaction they can think about, um, or that that we think that, that we that, that we think about as as consumers and 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 that's a really powerful thing and it's a trade that we as as you know modern day consumers have been willing to accept right in exchange of sharing, you know, data on our whereabouts and our messaging and communication and contact lists and what's in our home and our product purchases and our, you know, our research and searching, et cetera, in exchange for these great utilities. Um, it, it, it's, it's 2021. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So you guys post e- you guys are in the physical mail space, right? That's your focus. That's correct. So can you tell the listeners real quick? I guess we're just going to jump straight through. I don't think we're going to even take a break today um, to to what, what you guys do as a company, because that's uh, kind of my last question slash next question. I want to know if you've seen any of the wall garden channels looking to encroach in that space kind of to um, to either to minimize it, to undermine it, or to, to try to take over. I mean, we ha- you do have... FedEx and 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 uh, that kind of stuff. So you have private mail, but I'm sure some of these channels would love to get rid of the, you know, government open. You can for for sixty cents or whatever a stamp is. I don't even know. You can send a a message across the country or a, a postcard, a business postcard for even less. Um, but uh, yeah, tell the audience a little bit about what you guys do there at Posty for me. Sure, sure, and I can tackle a couple of those questions. Uh, so. Posty came about about um, around about six years ago as a reaction to kind of the satur- reaching saturation um, levels within these walled gardens that we had built lots of business, you know, consumer brands on. And the, the idea was 
we love the mechanics of quantitative marketing and the amazing tools and targeting and optimization capabilities available on, on search and social and programmatic. Uh, we just need other channels that we have more control of and that um, can add more predictability into our, our growth and, and help us manage our, our own businesses PLs a little bit better um, without that nervous stomach that comes from solely relying on on search and social. And, and the reason that we, um, we turned to direct mail was this, this idea of scale matters, right? We don't want to be spending a ton of time and energy into channels that might be effective, but are, that don't have a lot of scale. You, you, you referenced, you know, some of the secondary and tertiary search engines. Sure. You probably could find some efficiency. There, Once you max out Google AdWords, yeah, then you go over now. Yeah. You go it's to a lot of effort for a little return, but, but, um, but, the uh, kind of a unthought of little secret about direct mail or mail in general is that it's 20% bigger than Facebook. It's 20% bigger than Google. Like the, the majority of people are, are engaged on those platforms on a daily basis, but not all, but anyone with a, a physical address is reachable through, through the postal stream. Two, um, we, we, there, I guess, I mean, to some extent, there's, there's a, a, a bit of some walls in that, that the way that you get into people's mailboxes is relying on delivery and logistics through the U.S. Postal Service, but it's a government utility. Right. And so, not, I mean, they may raise the cost of a stamp a little bit and, and you have a print house, but there's so much comp. It's either it's a government utility or there's so much competition with print houses and stuff that nobody can control the market. C- correct. And, and, I, I, and, and the way that, that I would think about it is that, that it's, a, it's a public right to, to put a stamp on something and communicate with someone through, through the mail. No, they, they can't block it. Sure, there are costs that could, could move up and down. Government-sanctioned physical spam. <laughs> hey, uh, that's not what we see. We see markers with, with um, you know, brilliant storytelling and messaging, communicating in meaningful ways to you know, very targeted audiences. I, I joke because my business is mostly in the email space. Um, I mean, we, we sell data, but email is the biggest part of that. People still use it for phones and physical mail and, and social as well. Um, but I see you know, an unsolicited email as the same thing really as an unsolicited print mail. It just doesn't cost as much. So people tend to get out of control or have in the past with the spamming of it versus the physical mail. You're like, well, if I got to pay for this thing to be shipped, I'm going to be a little more discerning. That's correct. You're going to be thoughtful um, uh, about it. You're you're going to care about the return on on that investment that you're making in the channel. Um, You know, to answer your question on, on what Posty is, you know, you know, when one, when we fell in love with the channel, the the potential power reach scale, um, you know, kind of the next step was looking at, you know, is there targeting capabilities that could rival, um, you know, the benefit that we get from digital channels, and uh, and we very quickly um, found out that un- unquestionably there's amazing targeting capabilities in the channel, and there's also um, a number of really clean methodologies for direct measurement understanding whether your, you know, your, your ad campaigns, your, your communication are resonating with your audiences and, and, you know, what the, the return on that investment is. So those three things um, got us really excited about the channel and, and in many ways looked very similar to all the digital channels that, that we had grown up with. What looked very different was that when we set out to execute some campaigns, we learned that um, there really hadn't been any technology, um, you know, investment in, in this channel in many, many years. And the, the manual way that you execute a direct mail campaign today 
outside of hosty for the most part is no different than the way it was 20 years ago. It's very, it's labor intensive, long lead times, very manual and analog. And that part just wasn't really acceptable to us and our marketing teams. And so Posty set out to build the technology layer that 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 ports all of the kind of value um, and 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 uh, automation capabilities to launch, scale, optimize um, that channel to the direct mail um, space. And so this same kind of collection of, of tools and capabilities that your marketing team's engaging with Facebook or Google or programmatic or retargeting, um, they now can access um, and leverage um, to manage their direct mail campaigns. So, so that's, yeah, that, that, that was, yeah, um, I think uh, the, the way that we think about, um, uh, you know, the, the value that Posty brings to the direct mail space. The last upgrade in technology I saw in the direct mail space was in trying to um, scale personalization or fake personalization with the uh, the machines where you'd, you'd you'd write something and then it would basically copy that 10,000 times and fold the letter so that you could have these machine handwritten um, uh, setups to write the personal message which wasn't and I was like well that's not really a that's more of a trick than a you're just you're scaling fake personalization it, it was the next step up from when they first, decided to start printing the signature in a different ink to look like a signature. And you look at it and you're like, now I'm insulted that you're trying to <laughs> fool me with this. Can you just give me your message? Um, so what's, what is it that you guys are doing with physical mail that's, that's different or new or, or effective for the user? Yeah, well, so, so first of all, Kenny, I think what you're referencing is more the, the operational side of, of direct mail, the actual kind of physical ads, the what you can do with ink and paper. And I started and, praying, and, God, I hope that's not what you guys do now that I just shit on it. Yeah, no, <laughs> no and, and that, those are all tactics. And the truth is yeah. any, any one tactic is a tactic and no different than a tactic or a creative that you may run on, on Instagram um, or a headline you might run on a, on a, you know, on a Google ad. Um, you know, they, they, you know, any specific, um, you know, ad comes and goes and, and th those are all tactics. Right. Um, really, we, you know, what we think about is, A, how do we make it easy and fast to take an idea from your head as a marketer and get it into the real world fast so that you can affect your, you know, your business's growth trajectory very, very quickly. Um, historically, like, um, if you wanted to, to all of a sudden, you know, execute a direct mail campaign with from an idea that you had today, you're, you're probably planning 60 days in advance with most traditional, you know, direct mail method, executional methodologies. With Posty, you literally could be, um, you know, designing and uploading creative onto into your Posty account, um, building audiences, and and going into production tomorrow and being in home next week. Um, you know, that that you know is kind of the the utility. Um, uh, at its most simplified um, uh, uh, view. From there, it then becomes, you know, okay, once you have this layer um, to be able to move quickly um, from an executional perspective, now it's, it's how do you enable testing and optimization? How do you um, start helping advertisers understand what messaging um, and what ad formats are most effective for their business? How do you start giving them complex segmentation capabilities to start thinking about instead of you know one size fits all? I've I've the bandwidth to create one creative or one A/B test, and 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 that's what I'm going to put into the world across all audience segments. 
you know, why don't we think about direct, you know, um, optimizing direct mail campaigns at a very, um, you know, uh, nuanced level the way we do our Facebook campaigns. So our advertisers are using the Posty platform to build, you know, in some cases, thousands of different campaign segments with, you know, hundreds of different creatives that historically just wouldn't have been possible to execute on. But with a software layer, um, all of it is, is executional, is, is executionally possible, but also just as simple as any of the, the digital programmatic channels. And then lastly really is targeting and measurement. So accessing the same quality capabilities to build lookalike models, leveraging your, your brand's you know, first party data insights on their customers or insights that they can learn about their customers from the Posty platform and turn those into, again, predictive models or optimized campaign segments. Uh, and, and finally is, is the measurement side. So instead of waiting, 30 days or 60 days after a campaign deployed and, and kind of manually figuring out what worked and what didn't, probably not super cleanly, the, the, the Posty platform um, integrates directly with your, your backend databases and CRMs and is able to help you very cleanly in real time understand exactly what's going on with, with your ads and, and your prospect or your customer's um, you know, response rates. So you're managing them almost like somebody would manage their Google AdWords. You're just like, oh, I've got this ad and that ad, and let's push this one out now, and let's put this one to this segment, and I can see my details. And that's right. That kind of stuff. That, that's right. That, that's Except for you don't own the the the, uh, the channel like they do. <laughs> it's still an open channel. It's an open channel. There are many ways you can run direct mail. Um, we're just trying to give you a more modern way to do it um, so that you can get to market faster, learn faster, and get um, a positive return on your ad spend faster and turn this channel into a, a meaningful complement to the rest of your marketing stack. Awesome. Okay. Do you guys work with a lot of uh, account-based marketing? It seems like this is kind of a natural fit for so it's, it's a great question. Interesting. Um, we, we don't. Um, so most of what we do is... I don't believe you. You just don't know it. But people are using you with their account-based marketing, I bet they, you. They, they may be. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time um, um, uh, focused on complex mathematics and machine learning on top of big consumer data sets. And, and so... Uh, more of the brands that, that are on the Posty platform are, are brands that are engaging directly with consumers versus B2B. In the uh. B2B world, I know. In, in the B2B now world, you tell me. <laughs> doesn't mean I can't help you. Uh, I know, I'm just kidding. Can't help you. But, um, but that's certainly our core competency and, and data is such a key component of what we do. And as you know, the, the availability of data and, and what you can do with, with modern you know, mathematics and machine learning and that data, those big data sets, in the consumer world is, is much deeper. Um, There's so many more data points to know about somebody like That's somebody's right. work personality does not have as many points of interest as their personal life. Like the B2B data, typically what, whether they have a dog or a cat, what type of dog and cat, how many, the age of the animals, whether they have children, that, that, that all these details, you know, what they, what foods they don't really come into play in the B2B marketplace. So yeah, we just have so many less data points to work with. And in the consumer world, those data points are all been collected for a long time now. That, that, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, let's, let's get to you real quick. I, I, I can see what your company does. We got the wall garden thing. I mean, we're going to get back to the wall garden thing a little bit here, but I do want to touch on you real quick, kind of how you got to, to, to be where you're at and, and your path through to Posty. 
as much as you want to tell people? Sure. Um, no, I love my path. It was, it was, it was very, um, I think authentic and, and organic and, um, and, and took a while. And I, I think I, I, um, I, I was not one of these natural whiz kids that just came out of, you know, high school or college and, and knew how to start a business and launch a business and, and, you know, found tremendous success out of the gate. That, that, that certainly wasn't my path. I, I um, kind of fell into consumer internet um, as, um, as a, a, I think I was probably 21 years old, a, a year or two removed from college. And, um, and back then it was web 1.0 and I, I worked for a marketing technology company in sales. And to, let's say your last non-founder role was like 2008. So I don't know. <laughs> it, it's been a while, but there are plenty of, of challenging, you know, stops, um, you know, since 2008 for sure. But, um, but yeah, my, the, really what got me here to an entrepreneur is that as, as an ad, you know, salesperson, um, I was engaging with a, the broadest set of advertisers and I was working with the big CPG brands and um, biggest omni-channel retailers, or, or then they were pretty much just retailers, 2000, 1999, something like that. And, um, and, and those sales cycles, um, I think were fairly boring in many ways. Um, you know, you were dealing with um, really structured procurement conversations and, um, and lots of like, it's just lots of structure. Um, and then I also got to spend my time selling into startups. And, and I remember selling into startups where I was in a room with the founder. I was a 21, 22 year old, you know, kid selling, you know, the, selling my product. And, and there was a founder and a CMO typically working in a crummy office space without windows and card tables. And, and we would do business together and I'd come back six months later and they'd be in a bigger office with, you know, maybe real desks. And then I, and you were like, I want to be you when I grow up, but you're younger than me. So this is confusing. Well, there was, <laughs> back then I was about the same age, yeah. um, but, uh, but it was, you know, I, I saw these trajectories and, and then you like show up two years later, there'd be like a bunch of Ferraris in the parking lot and um, they'd be in fancy offices and there'd be 400 people at these companies and it was just, it was mind blowing to me that, that someone could just create something from nothing and within a few years be doing, you know, something transformative in their industry. So you were inside a wall garden and you were like, I want to own my channel. <laughs> you were in another company and you were like, I'm controlled by what I can do and what I can I like do. That, I like that uh, analogy. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, to me, it was just the idea of creating something that, that you could that any human was capable of coming up with an idea and through hard work, certainly a little bit of luck, um, some skill development, you know, could, could, could create something. And, and so I knew very, very early on that, that I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I just, I was one of these people that needed to go develop a bunch of skills, get beaten up a bunch in the market, learn from smart people. And, and early on, I think the one thing I did right was just, I, I constantly gl like gla glammed onto, um, the smartest people, smartest entrepreneurs that I could find and became friends with them and asked lots of questions and made sure I was doing, you know, in, you know, learning about their business and being helpful any way that I could. And look, I'm, I'm a few years older than 22 now. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, now maybe feel comfortable as an entrepreneur instead of someone that, that needs to learn how to be one. So one of the things that I, I hear as a takeaway from that is as a company, um, don't, 
put your young talent, don't let them work directly with startups because <laughs> they are going to get the bug and they're going to go start their own thing. Like if you really want to keep somebody, maybe don't let them work directly with the startup. That's it's too tempting for the, the talented, smart people on your team. Well, I do appreciate that. But for the record, I, I did, I think, spend seven years at that company. So you, you gave uh, them their due. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I, I generated quite a bit of revenue for them and growth. And, and certainly it was a, it was a very fair trade. But um, look, I, 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 I think a lot about, you know, uh, in my own internal development and then my team's development um, from the most entry level um, employee up to our, our C-suite. And uh, I think you just got to generally got to keep um, people challenged. And that, that's like probably the greatest gift that you can give someone is keep them interested, add value to their life beyond just, you know, their daily responsibility set. And I think if you do that, regardless on what their path is, they're going to add value to the ecosystem and you'll get some value from your own business. But um, I think it all, yeah, what, what goes around comes around. I, I really It's do a hot it. topic today, the retaining employees. So I, I guess I'd also say trying to lock your employees down and get them to never leave is, should not be the goal. If, you know, if you have uh, Dave Fink for seven years and he brings a lot to your company and then he moves on, great. You look at, uh, you know, coaches in professional sports, they have a lot of coaches under them. They rarely try to prevent them from going anywhere. They're going to hopefully grow out and you grow new people. So as a company, a lot of your best people may move on, but they move on as part of your legacy and you should be able to, if you can't grow another one, then you just got lucky with Dave um, that your problem isn't locking him down. Certainly. I, look, I, there are, there are, we, we haven't lost too many people at Posty. Um, those that we have typically have gone to very different opportunities and there's just a different um, career stop on their career path that they wanted to, to, to tackle. Uh, I miss those people. I still think about them, right? I, there were, there were people that, um, that we invested in that added value to us that were part of the Posty family and uh, really happy for them. And the truth is I'd take them back in a heartbeat if they, you know, if there was the right role for them. And I, and I thought that this was a good, good opportunity for them. I think like, look, the, the number one thing that you can do as I think as, as a boss in general is, is look at the people that work for you or with you, not as employees, but just as people. Yeah. Don't, and, don't turn your company into a walled garden, trying to, again, trying to imprison your employees. Although, a lot of the employees we've lost in the past, um, I think about it now and it wouldn't happen because of remote working. We lost them to moving type situations versus sure. um, uh, versus versus other things. And with remote work, it's a lot easier to retain employees as long as you don't suck as a company. So I know this is a complete, we've shifted the, uh, I always <laughs> tell people, look, if your employees are leaving for another dollar an hour, then it's not the dollar that they're leaving for. They don't like working for you. Like they'll stay for a dollar less if they like where they're working. So uh, we're, again, we're off on a completely different topic. I'll try to analogize it to the wall garden still. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I spend more of my time today as, as a CEO of a, of a business that's scaling thinking about um, long-term vision, people, and, and in theory, productivity, but it's more, um, 
I, I really do spend a lot of time thinking about you know, the satisfaction of the people that are are that were that that are you know working with us for us, our partners, um, our customers, and um, and to be quite honest, I, you know I, I think that the the general perspective of of a good company and it certainly gets more complicated over time, but um, but I, I think that I think if you take the perspective that um, hopefully you're starting with some kind of mission. And that doesn't mean you're, you're out necessarily trying to solve the biggest problems in the world, but, but, you know, hopefully you've started a, a business, a company, you launched a product because th- there was some pain point that you recognized, you know, you had some unique um, perspective um, to, to help solve. And, and if you hold on to that mission, you can, you know, you can, you know, surround yourself with, with, you know, other team members and colleagues who, who understand that mission, are bought into that mission, and are excited about trying to, um, you know, help solve, um, you know, find a solution to, to that problem and, and carry out that mission. I think generally there's a much higher level of satisfaction than if it's just an opportunistic, you know, role or an opportunistic company. And there's certainly lots of valuable companies that were built um, on pure, again, opportunity, opportunity, meaning they understood a business model and there's a way to make some money in a specific segment of the world. But um, but the businesses I think that 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 tend to do, um, you know, have lasting effect are those businesses that do have some purpose or mission, and 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 they tend to hire. You know, oh my God, we're gonna we're doing employee retention now. We're gonna go start getting into all why, and these are all hot topics for me. Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to start digging into those things. We don't have time to address all of that. Um, but let's let's refocus back to the um, back to the wall garden to finish it off here. I think there's a couple great takeaways here. One that, yes, they're not owned channels, but they're still great channels to be in for your marketing, especially early on, because you don't have to create all this. You don't have as much really early on. A company doesn't have as much uncertainty. You know, you you can say, oh, there's the uncertainty. You don't know if it's going to be there, but you know, it's going to be there a hell of a lot more than your own marketing because you don't own anything yet. You can create a product, focus on that, and then just put up a Google AdWord to an audience and know it's going to get to that audience. Put up a Facebook ad, know it's going to get to that audience. Um, so that is a really nice aspect of these kind of curated crowds. Uh, I'm 100% with you. And, and quite frankly, like most businesses, not all, but most businesses should start on those easy to launch channels where you can learn fast, you can iterate fast. Uh, and you can quickly, you know, um, figure out how to engage with with your audience. Uh, I, I there's no world in, in well, I, I, I we can get into the 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 potential like good versus evil and corporate America and things like that. And there there are some real questions out there in some of these companies. But but with regards to the ad platforms themselves, like I, I just I think that if you're a smart um, marketer or um, you know, or, or you're, you know, you're just, you, if you're savvy, the best place to go is, is the place where you can learn the fastest and, um, and, uh, and, 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 and drive most advantage. And, and for sure those wall gardens, um, as painful as they get at scale are, are really powerful places to start. And the, the first and, thing and I put down was ease. We have, you're paying more, you have less control, but the ease part allows you to quickly get in and quickly move. And one of the biggest downsides you mentioned was the scalability. At some point you max out on your ROI. Great. That means you've maxed out on your ROI. So you start creating your own channels. You start owning, getting more into your own own marketing. Um, But 
yeah, there's a lot of room when you start from nothing, usually within those channels. That's right. Um, and, and it's the same, I think just in startups in general, it's fail fast and, and a startup can be a true startup or a startup could be a new product within a bigger company. Uh, figure out the, the, the fastest way to succeed or the fastest way to, to fail. Um, and then when you find some success in some of those easy channels, uh, don't, don't rest on your laurels. Right. That's the, that's the time to, to start uh, leaning into other channels and, 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 and remembering that, that there's a ceiling in every channel. You can and, fail for 10 bucks a day on Google AdWords before you even make your product. Like sure. that's, that's pretty nice versus going out and doing a physical mail campaign or buying an email list and setting all that up and sending campaigns or starting cold calling. It's like, Hey, you can just throw up a Google ad just to see if people are into this or not. Yeah. You can create a Google AdWords account today and load in some text-based creative and be up and running in a few hours. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Right. That, 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 and, and again, I just, I, there's no world in where I would say, um, yeah, you shouldn't be playing in social and you shouldn't be playing in, in search. You just let's, let's bring this around to Posty. You you guys make it so people can do a very similar thing with physical mail now. That's right. That, that's exactly right. So so from a you know highly encouraged brands as soon as they start gaining some traction in one of these other channels, um, that's time to take those learnings and start thinking about the other channels that they can uh, that they have the resources to be able to um, test into. Uh, it, it's, you gotta be on the channel, the sooner that you get there, the better. Remember, it's not just about building a brand on Facebook or on Google. It's about building a brand. It's about building a, a customer base. It's about building a company. And, um, and, you know, historically, if you'd asked me before Posty, I probably would not have said direct mail is the next channel to jump into, but what I've no, seen. It was old and dead. And that made it great because people weren't using it as much. <laughs> so sure. people Look, start paying you, attention. It's a, it was always an amazing channel, but, yeah. but the executional components, the ability to tap into the same quality data, find success quick and, and fast and scale rapidly once you find success, like the, the, that capability didn't exist. Um, with Posty, it does. So uh, like uh, uh, unquestionably, um, you know, you get your Facebook turned on, you get your Google turned on, you start getting some traction, you understand generally what messaging um, is working, you get your website and your kind of your owned and operated channels, mainly email working or retargeting. And, 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 and I would highly encourage you to, to start poking around in direct mail. Um, it, 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 it is a phenomenal channel to move to next. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So the last thing to touch on here is I want you to put on your, your, well, I guess that's not a hat. I'm going to get out your crystal ball and think about what do we think the future is going to look like in these marketing spaces. We've gone from the ancient times of there's the marketplace, you have the public marketplace, and maybe if you're not in that marketplace, then you're in random streets, but people are selling their wares in the marketplace at some point somebody comes in and probably owns it and it's no longer a public marketplace. And now you have this wall garden marketplace that's owned and there's not many places 
And then it, eventually physical mail is invented and people actually have addresses where you can send something. And then we get the invention of the telephone and then we get the invention of the email physical mail still there, the, the public marketplace. I mean, we still have live events and we still have, um, you know, consumer, we still have the shopping mall and stuff like that. Um, but what, what can, what do you think we can expect to have next in when it comes to marketplaces, what's going to happen is, are the wall gardens going to continue to expand and envelop everything? Are we going to have a constant back and forth? What do you see? For many years, my belief has been there's a world where, where um, you know, the walled gardens do lose their power and, and maybe even disappear. And, and I, I think that the, the reason I think about that is um, I think there could be a world where there's hardware um, and then there's personal identifiable kind of information ways that you represent yourself on those platforms and connect. And then maybe a series of more micro level utilities. So take um, you, you know, said the wall gardens with this. So like Google AdWords, you think could disappear? I mean, would that have to be due to competition? How else could that go away? Would well, the let's talk, break let's it up. Social. Let, let's start with social because I'm a little less certain about search. Because at the end of the day, there's yeah the the, the yeah the internet has democratized content distribution. There's so much content, so the, the utility of helping make sense of how to access relevant um, content. Um, the government it, could it, break it, Google up into a search engine and ad it, company. Sure, sure. And then look, there, there's there's certainly that 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 is a reasonable topic. Um, but let's talk social, right? So social is, is a platform where you share kind of your whereabouts, you communicate through video chat um, or proxy to, to phone chat. Um, where you share photographs, images, and your own videos, you know, to some extent, like I, I just look at it and say, like, well, if I have a phone and I have a phone number, like, what do I need a social app for? I have all my photos. Like, why can't it be easy to just share? Through I content? do love when people won't text. They want to like face. I don't go on Facebook very often, and they want a Facebook message. And I'm like, you have my phone number. I have this thing called text. You can send me a yeah. message. <laughs> yeah, like, right. There, there's, there's. I, I, I think that that it's possible that that there's just an oversaturation um, of kind of the the showing off that that happens on social. Right. It's it's you you you, you hop on Instagram and it's everybody's like like best event of the day. And, and it's just a constant reminder that like, oh my gosh, everybody's life is so amazing and, and full of fanfare. Um, you know, I, Are you I, saying I, it'll become like a toxic enough atmosphere that enough people leave the party and then it kind of just falls apart without the mass I think of that people? could happen. And then you look for more real personalized ways to interact. Mm -hmm. And so you want to share um, an authentic, you know, image or article, et cetera. You, you're on a group chat with, thread through your iPhone or your Android phone. Uh, I'm almost seeing a separation. You're going to have, you'll still have people on these channels. They're just the super thirsty people. And then you'll have people who, when they want to connect, they just connect. I think there's a black mirror episode about this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think it could happen. I, I'm not necessarily predicting it. You asked for kind of a crystal ball. Oh yeah. Um, no, no. This is what I'm looking for. What's the crazy scenario that, that, that could happen other than the likely 
kind of drudge forward thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that there could be. I'm optimistic that that the, the the typical individual will take more control over the way that they communicate and what they put out into hmm. you know the world and certainly in in through the social webs that that exist and and not necessarily have to rely on um, you know Wall Garden's algorithm to determine what image they see and what image they show. Um, they want you know a group of individuals to see a specific piece of content. There's a direct path to do that, and um, and uh, and and I and I I could see that that happening. Um, it's certainly not the path we're on right now. Well, also half the time now you post something on on let's say Facebook, I think, and half your friends don't even see it because they're throttling down who can see what without, <laughs> you know, what's, what's your exposure. They don't want your natural exposure to be, uh, to be too high because you don't pay for natural exposure. Yeah, sure. Uh, if, if you're a brand, get sick of it. <laughs> yeah. If you're a brand, but even if you're a consumer, right, there's no guarantee that, that everything that you post. Well, that's what I'm saying. Out. I could probably post yeah. my, how I'm feeling today and half the people I'm connected with wouldn't even get it in their feed because that's, you know, that they're, they're not, they're trying to throttle net, the natural exposure. Whereas when they started, everyone that had an account would see everyone's everything every time. Cause there wasn't that many people at the party. Once you right. get a lot of people, kind of they're crazy. like, now we got to control them. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy thought to think that like, if, if you're getting the majority of your news cycles from shares that your friends are making on, on a social platform, that that company's algorithm gets to determine what news you see. And which friends news posts you even see that's right <laughs> like, oh, this friend has an opinion that you seem to have not connected with clicked on in the past so we're not even going to show you their <laughs> their posts anymore it, it's a little crazy right you used to be that you you know certainly there's broadcast tv a while ago and you got to choose which you know local newscaster you which of the to. three channels you got to watch yeah that's right and then it was cable right and there's a bunch more and then there were the you know kind of party specific channels that that emerge and you could choose like where like what angle you wanted and bounce back and forth if you were a bit more open-minded or whatnot but you were making that decision right yeah like, we're getting into happen? another hour-long uh, topic here <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're dusting on a handful of, of topics anyway speaking of which we've hit I, I think uh, we've we've done about all we can do on this. The topic of uh, wall gardens versus, let's say, free channels, as in freedom, not as in they don't cost anything, of course, but fully owned and you have to maintain and manage them type channels, I guess. So pluses and minuses on both sides for all these things, but understanding kind of what you're getting into with these uh, with these wall garden. And uh, hey, everybody likes a garden. Everybody likes walls. No problem. Wall garden. Just know the, the pluses and minuses of it. Um, Dave, any uh, any last nuggets of wisdom to share with the audience here? It really just as certainly as it you know revolves around this topic, it's just be mindful, right? Think, you know, think about ways to um, to make conscious decisions on where you're going to spend your your time, your resources, your budget, and and have an action plan. That doesn't mean that you're going to deliver those channels or those strategies or tactics are going to deliver, you know, every single time exactly as planned, but, but, you know, be in control. You want to get up each day and know what you're looking to execute and, and you want to have a way to measure and judge what's working and what's not working. And, and, um, and, and you just want to um, make sure that, that again, that you are in control versus um, just kind of going along with, um, with uh, momentum. I'd say, um, you know, if you like Google AdWords and Facebook, check out Posty, 
they have a public garden that you can come and have a lot of the same experience in. Love it. All right. Well, you can find more about this episode on ifyoumarket.com. Um, we'll have the show notes there, more information on Dave Fink and, uh, and, and on Posty there. Uh, please share us. Please share the show on, on social media. Uh, I don't know, like and uh, review and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Dave Fink of Posty, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with owned marketing or wall gardens, I guess the episode isn't all about how bad they are, they will come. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted, high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.